any questions on that particular topic. And I'm I'm not going to answer halakhic questions, but I hope the point was made clear. Yeah, I, I, I have a comment, Rabbi. Yeah. I know a number of times when they have the Lulav cell and the Srogan cell yeah. uh, in shul, and we are a modern Orthodox shul, yeah. that um, it's specifically uh, the people who come to sell saying that the produce, the Srogan, are from Morocco or Tunisia during those years. And I always feel bad that it's not... You know, we're not supporting the, the Israeli economy. economy. I absolutely agree yeah. with you. And even during Schmitter year, where where you would say maybe there's more reason, if you agree with that, to go to stuff which is grown outside Israel, but there is an, a system of buying the lulav and etrog from Israel, which is even accepted according to the stricter opinion. I honestly believe, and I, I you know, I tell you what it is. The, 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 with Etrogin, there's a special issue with uh, what is called the Chazoka. Chazoka means, is it established as a kosher Etrog or not? And that's to do with the way that the tree was originally grafted. They graft the two trees together. And the grafting of Etrog trees is something which can produce an Etrog which is not kosher. So you have to have a place which grows the etrogim, where you have a tradition that this was never grafted, but it was grown in the normal way. And the only way you can actually find out whether it's uh, uh, grafted or not is cutting it open and seeing, looking at the seeds. But of course, if you cut open the etrog, then you, you know, you've lost your etrog. So there's no way of checking it. So you, that's why you have to rely on the what's called the chazaka. Yeah, I, I don't want to go into discussion about Etrog at this point, because that's a whole old side issue. But my point... Do you have another question? Yeah, just one second. The point which I want to make, which I thought was, was particularly important, was that in the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a what we call in, in German a Weltanschauung. Are we going to abandon Israel? You know, we're all getting upset about Ben and Jerry at the moment, because they're a, they've made this horrible statement towards Israel, and yet we'll come to Shemitah year, and all of a sudden we'll try and find ways to avoid is, Israeli produce. Which to me is sending educationally and, 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 and spiritually, I, I don't know what words to use, a, a tremendously negative message about our relationship to Israel. Now, again, is it that we shouldn't eat this produce? Is it that there are ways of eating it which are allowed? The answer is we find out how to deal with it in a proper way and we can deal with it. But to avoid it because of this uh, situation of the law which comes about once every seven years, like with the etrogim, is the same issue. When you want to keep a mitzvah and you get an etrog from Eretz Israel, what a blessing that really is. What a bracha that is and what a... You know, as I, I always think of uh, of my great great grandparents who would have would have uh, you know they had to make do with etrogim grown who knows where, and if they could get etrogim from Eretz Israel, you know they they they, they would have hugged and kissed the thing. You know, would never have let it go. The whole of Sukkot would never have put it down because it would have been such a special thing. I I I feel strongly about it because I, as I said, we're going to hear 
some stuff in the next couple of months about avoiding Israeli produce. And as I said, you know, this is a subject which one has to take up with the local rabbi and find out what the guidelines are going to be. Uh, I know the OU has a particular guideline and various other people uh, in the States. It's a bit easier for us if we want to avoid Israeli produce, but I honestly don't believe that was the purpose of the mitzvah, that we should uh, uh, abandon Israeli agriculture for a whole year. I don't think that's what it was about. That's my own personal feeling, but again, yeah, please, very quickly, as I want to go on to the second. Before we were talking about the economy of Israel, didn't in the same parsha God say? No, you've you've gone silent. I I know what you're going to say. There is a promise that the land will produce more in the sixth year, right? If you keep Shemitah, and the answer is that, believe it or not. Uh, the statistics haven't come out yet for this year, but I remember from a couple of Schmitters ago that it, it was the case, that the produce was, you know, excelled the, the amount of produce in the sixth year. It really did happen. But again, it's not enough to cover the whole, the whole of the seventh year at this point in time. Will things change in the future? Mashiach comes and, please God, the whole land of Israel goes into a completely different uh, um, um, situation, then Schmitter will go back to the way it was in its pristine condition. Yeah, Yoni, please. Yeah, just, uh, I mean, how to make sure understanding that, that the precedent for it now, uh, and as well as the, the need for it when we did, but um, I, I guess what, what Chazanish kind of comes to say as well a little bit is um, it brings up a good question, which is how is how is Shemitah? What what is an ideal right. that Shemitah can really be? Right. So, at what point are you saying that's a nice? You know, we we, we need Hatzer Mechira, which therefore, in some sense, uh, removes almost the entire uh, not not entirely, but it, it 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 definitely is not in the spirit of the law. Correct. Um, I'll tell you something interesting. So, so, that, wait, so what happens to Shemitah? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and I think what we might hear from the chief rabbinate in Israel uh, in the next few weeks when they do it again is maybe even more in the in direction of saying to people, look, this is a bottom line allowance for people who want to rely on it but the ideal, and they'll be promoting the ideal, is for more and more farmers to um, what's the word? Diversify, right? If you diversify, like what did they do in Kibbutzlavi? They started a furniture business. How do we know about it? Because we've got it in Cherry Hill. It's a fantastic business. And why did they start the furniture business? Because of Schmitter. Because at the, what, the beginning of the kibbutz life in 1950s, all they had was agriculture, and they they wanted to do the best for the kibbutz at the same time, not going bankrupt within the first 10 years. So they realized that they have to diversify, and they started other. Um, other industry in the kibbutz and many other kibbutzim, religious kibbutzim have done the same. So what I'm saying is that Hetamechira is there as the bottom line, but for people who want to you know, raise their standard the, the, the opportunity does exist there are other arrangements when you go to the shuk in Israel there will be signs, you can buy the fruit but you buy it under a certain arrangement which is not Hetamechira but other arrangements which I don't want to go into now and the and the bottom line is that it it it's it's like to me it's like the eruv. You want to you want to use the eruv, you use it. You want to be religious and you don't want to use the eruv, don't use it. But it's got to be there because 
you know, a good community provides that facility for those who want or who need to use it. And the Hetzemechira, to me, is the same concept. It's there for those who want to use it or need to use it. And one day we're getting to the point, maybe very soon, let's hope, when this will all be a historical uh, analysis, but not a current situation. All right, so again, I, your, your question is excellent. I think we're gradually edging up every Schmitter to, 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 a, to a, a higher level of observance. And, you know, it's, it, it's a process. It's a process, and it's, 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 it's a part, to me, it's part of the messianic oh, yeah. process. It really yeah. is. Um, I want to go on to my second thing, because I can see the time. I'm going to run out. And I wanted to talk just for, for, for another debate. This is really the final debate. And this is really coming back into, into discussion. And I'm just going to go back on the screen. And this is the question of, and we all know this issue, which is land for peace. Um, that's, by the way, a very beautiful photo of Reb Shlomo Zaman Orbach. Um, in, in the, in the, I think in the 1970s, the, uh, apart from being a phenomenally interesting rabbi, he was the head of the yeshiva in Bayevagan, Kol Torah, and a very special man, really, really special person. Um, the land for peace controversy, I, the famous story with Ben-Gurion. Ben-Gurion in 1937... David, I think you want to hear this. I think you, think you need to mute. Ben-Gurion in 1937 went to the Peel Commission in London, which was talking about the Palestine issue, right? This is 1937. And he stood up in front of Lord Peel, and um, um, Lord Peel, after hearing all the various, uh, um, um, what's the word, all the various evidence that was being given, Lord Peel said to Ben-Gurion, we've seen that the Arab delegation has showed us their documents showing that they have ownership in Eretz Israel or parts of Eretz Israel. What is your document, Mr. Ben-Gurion? So you know what Ben-Gurion did? He held up the Tanakh, the Bible. And he said, my gentlemen, this is our document. The Bible, the Tanakh, the Old Testament as you call it, this is the proof of ownership that we have in Eretz Israel. It must have been a very crucial moment. Didn't change their decision and they closed the doors in 1939 with the terrible consequences which uh, we all know about. But it's a, just an interesting thing for Ben-Gurion and for the early Zionists, their knowledge of certainly Tanakh and the connection to Eretz Israel was very strong. And my feeling is that that any discussion about giving away parts of land to create peace, people like Ben-Gurion would have been horrified. You know, they fought so hard to get the land that to give it up in order for a so-called peace agreement would not necessarily have registered in their, um, in their mindset. The, the interesting source, and I'm not going to go through it now, is a comment of Rashi's grandson. This is where I can bring in a bit of an ancient discussion. Rashi's grandson, Rash Bam, Rashmul Ben Meir, comments on the Akedah. Famous story. Abraham is commanded to go and offer up his son as a sacrifice. So everybody asks the question, what's going on over there? Why is God doing this to Abraham? So the word that the Bible uses, God tested. Nisa. God tested Abraham. But the Rashbam says no. He says that what God was actually doing was punishing Abraham. So what do you mean punishing Abraham? Abraham was a tzaddik. So, it, so, so the Rashbam explains, and this is really very interesting, that in the 
um, uh, the story previous to the story of the Akedah, Abraham makes a peace treaty with the Philistines. And in that peace treaty, he agrees to allow the Philistines to live in their area, which was part of Eretz Israel. And essentially, the Rashbam explains that Avram gave away land in Eretz Israel. And God's reaction to Avram was the Akedah. You wanted this, says God to Abraham, you wanted this as a legacy for your children and your grandchildren that you should have peace with the with the philistines and they should have a foothold in israel you know what i'm going to show you that you're not even going to have a child who's going to live as a consequence of your um i would almost he uses almost the word reckless behavior giving away part of eretz israel it's a very controversial statement of the rajbam you can't interrupt please just as your question will be at the end the bottom line of it is that a Avram Avinu was punished, according to Rashbam, not, it's, it's, it's a unique opinion, for giving away land in Eretz Israel. And when we look at the modern list of, of rabbis who all are of the same school, I've just got the, the whole bunch of, of names, so this, is, this evening is sort of getting to know Israeli rabbis. Uh, obviously we've got Rabbi Goran, this is the cover of a book, autobiography, which I do recommend you read. It's a fantastic book. Um, if you can read the Hebrew, even better than the English, but the English is really, really good. Um, this is the famous picture at the Kotel when uh, the Western Wall was, uh, was um, in 1967. You know, we all know the story. Uh, there were other rabbis who also uh, agreed with him, Rav, Rav Yisraeli, Rav Avram Shapira, who was the chief rabbi uh, of Israel for a time, they all say in no uncertain terms that we do not give away part of Eretz Israel for any purpose. Obviously, if we could be sure of a peace treaty which was guaranteed, you know, locked tight, that there would be no uh, comebacks and no, no uh, uh, double dealings and who knows what trickery, obviously everybody would say for peace. If that's what it takes, that's what we have to do. But they realized, and certainly Rav Goran did not mince his words when it came to dealing with people like Arafa. You can't rely on those people. There's, and today we've just seen, it's just continued. The leadership that we're trying to, or supposedly trying to negotiate with, it is very, very difficult to negotiate with someone who you cannot rely on. It's as simple as that. However, interesting at the time when this whole debate came up, after the Six-Day War, there were other rabbis more conciliatory. Rabbi Vadi Yosef, the chief rabbi, the Safadi chief rabbi. Um, uh, also somebody called Reb Chaim David Alevi, who was chief rabbi of Tel Aviv. And certainly many Haredi rabbis, this is a quote from Rav Shach, the head of the Ponovich Yeshiva, and various others, that you should give away land if there is a chance of peace. The compromise to me was in the, in the opinions of the rabbis from Gush Etzion. Rav Amital, Rav Lichtenstein, who was the son-in-law of Rav Soloveitchik, they said, look, at the end of the day, we can talk about giving away land, but it depends on the security situation. If the army and the security officials and everybody else say to us that the giving away of land will secure a peace with the neighbors that we have, then on the basis of that, that would be the reason why we could give land away. But otherwise, no. So it's a kind of compromise. The, the famous opinion 
is the Bhavacha Rebbe. The Bhavacha Rebbe spoke about this, and the scary thing to me is that he was right. The Bhavacha Rebbe was absolutely adamant that we don't give away one inch of Eretz Israel. And remember, the Rebbe died in 1993. So we're talking now nearly 30 years ago. And when he said this, this was, I think, 40, even 50 years ago. But he brought an interesting source. There's a Lauren Shulchan Aruch, which says that if we are being attacked, look at this, if the city that is near the border in Israel is being attacked, even if they come just for straw, hey, the, the enemy is coming, claiming to, you know, to buy our produce, but we know that they may attack us, then we desecrate Shabbat. We have to be prepared and we take up arms to defend ourselves in Eretz Israel. And said the Rebbe so categorically that we see that if we can desecrate Shabbat in, in a situation in case when they come over the border and they're only come claiming to buy things from us, we can still prepare to fight them back, to fight back and push them away, then obviously unless we can have absolute agreement and a solid agreement on peace in Eretz Israel, we are not obligated under any circumstance to give away one inch of the land of Israel. And this was the Rebbe's opinion, and it's in writing, you can Google it and you can look it up. And as I said, scary issue is that hindsight is always twenty twenty, Because the Rebbe lived, uh, rather the Rebbe passed away 12 years before Gush Katib before um, uh, Sharon, the Prime Minister of Israel, agreed to give back that whole beautiful area in the south of Israel, Gush Katib, which was handed over in all good faith with working greenhouses, and don't ask, the whole, the whole um, uh, economic thing that was decided, and within months the whole thing was destroyed by the people living in Gaza, and of course we know since then how many wars we've had to try and protect Israel, Iron Dome and all the rest of it, and it, it all comes down to that strip of land that was given back at that time. Had the Gush Katif existed, the whole, um, well again, would they be firing rockets? Who knows, maybe they would, but the fact is that the border, the buffer zone as we would say, would be so much further into um, uh, the enemy territories we were calling today, and we wouldn't be facing a situation of um, these terrible things that we saw in the summer in, in Shterot and other places. It's, it's, it's a big controversy, and it's going to come back again. Um, it's called in the diplomatic world two-state solution or whatever. I think we are, we, we've gone beyond the, the, the naive position of expecting at this point in time any sort of uh, political agreement which both sides can rely upon. Can we rely on them? I mean, let's hope they can rely on us, but can we rely on them to keep the peace? After what we've seen in Gaza, if we had such a situation happening, you know, literally in what, what we would now call over the Green Line, the area sort of, you know, Gush Etzion and beyond there, Shomron, if we had that going on, and then the rockets, God forbid, will be coming so much more closer to Israel, I just do not know remotely what possesses anyone who thinks about it that that would be a good arrangement. So we've got something to daven for. We've still got something to pray for, for peace in Eretz Israel. But what I just, um, interesting, uh, um, what I call a paradox, something to think about, is between the two subjects, we said that there were the 
more extreme rabbis, right, what we would call in the more Haredi camp, are the ones who are prepared to give away the land for peace. Seemingly, they're prepared to make more concessions. That's what the, um, what's been, been put in writing over the years. But it's the same rabbis that when it comes to selling the land for Shemitah purposes, are absolutely dead against it. They are absolutely forbidden. They forbid it to sell the land. And I found that a bit of a paradox. You know, you're prepared to give away the land to the Arab, but you're not prepared to sell the land to help the Jew. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's me. Maybe I, my, 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 uh, my train of thought is wrong. But no question about it in my mind. These are two issues which are extremely contentious. Will come about with great discussion in certainly Schmidt in the next year, um, year, year and a half. And land for peace clearly is coming back on the agenda with the change of government that we've had here and let's hope that God will give everybody the wisdom to see what has to be done what needs to be done and what should not be done learning from the experience of what happened in the year 2005 Uh, I leave it at that I I wanted to end the series talking about Eretz Israel because you know at the wedding today that's the most, to me, the most emotional moment of the wedding, when everybody sings in Jerusalem should never be out of our mind, out of our heart. You know, im aled Yerushalayim arur simchati. We should always... Hold on a second, you're, wait, you're saying that... Hilal, interrupted, I'll take your question in a second. Our, our mind, our soul should be uh, thinking towards Eretz Yisrael, always. What we do about Shemitah will be clearly a personal decision. In terms of what happens with uh, land for peace or two-state solution and all that discussion, let's pray, let's hope that God will guide the people now running the country, in running Israel, to have the wisdom, the seichel, the ability to say yes when they have to say yes, and also to say no when they have to say no. Um, I'll leave it at that. Hilo, your question, what were you just about to say? You're saying that this is our last session together? I think so for the moment, yeah. Sad. How sad is that? So are you making any other sessions? Uh, Bezrat Hashem. (laughs) Let's say it's under negotiation. Let's hope for the best. But thank you for joining. You've been a wonderful addition to this this group. Okay. If there's ever, when there's ever another class. You will hear about it. Don't worry. You'll be on, you're on the email list. He's gone to bed. <laughs> Great kid. Rabbi, I think um, Eitan has a question. Oh, Eitan, please. Yes, sorry, I didn't see that. No, it's okay. Um, the, the, the commonality between these the two discussions was very interesting, but it has, it, and maybe this is not outside the realm of what you wanted me to talk about, but the borders of the state of Israel and how that would influence either giving away land or growing uh, agricultural, you know, the, the defining what the borders are. Yes, yeah. It, it, I mean, for Schmitter purposes, that's a, that, that is a whole section of discussion, where the land of Israel stops in terms of, you know, if, if you step one inch outside Israel, the law of Schmitter obviously doesn't apply. And where do you draw that line? So that's a, that's a halachic debate when it comes to Schmitter. But it, it's not, I mean, today when we talk about the state of Israel, we're not talking about the original borders as defined by the Bible. But doesn't matter. The reality of Shemitah in terms of, let's say, let's talk about Tel Aviv, let's talk about Ramagan, let's talk about Jerusalem. There, 
you know, the border and the giving away of, of land, clearly referring to the same um, um, area, the same, the same piece of land, is under discussion for both um, debates, the debate about Schmitter and then the debate about land for peace. And I, as I said, I just found it very strange, a paradox, that the rabbis who are so strict in one area become the ones who are more lenient in, in an area which I would, I would think, you know, the Seichel demands we, we should be strict. Giving, look what happened in Gush Katif, how can we talk about giving away land again, bringing that sort of danger closer to the main populations of Israel? I mean, it's terrible that it's, that it's happening to the people in Shteron, and they don't deserve it, and we, should be, and, and we should be doing everything to stop it. But imagine if they had a power base, not in, in Gaza, but right in the middle, you know, next to Gush Etzion. That would be frightening indeed. So I leave you to think about that. I don't know. I don't know. It's a it, it, it's challenging thought. It's a challenging thought. Any final comments? Chemi, you seem to be contemplating your navel. That's fine. I'm very happy about that. Uh, um, I'm not, but uh, I can't imagine it's more, more interesting than uh, your uh, uh, the shear. Good. So, Yashikov, really Thank you. Very, uh, very interesting. Good. Good. And. Uh, I hope that uh, we'll all get to Israel this year. I hope that even if it is Schmitter, let's do it properly and let's find out what we can and what we cannot do. You know, the hotels will be obviously clued in on all of this. Uh, uh, and it'll be interesting to sort of hear experiences if you've been to Israel while going, and hopefully we'll all get there one way or another, um, what the experience will be in terms of your your experience of, of the Schmitter arrangements, because it is interesting. It's a, it's It's the real deal over there. Uh, Donna, I wish everybody a good night. Thank you so much. Oh, Rabbi, thank you so much. This has been so enlightening. Each session has been so interesting and so different. Yeah. That, um, yeah. I think everyone has really enjoyed this. Good. And I hope that in the future, very near future, you will agree to do another series. I look forward. There are there are many debates. We, we're not dull when it comes to debating. You know that. At Bigashul President, ay, ay, ay. Talk about discussion. Uh, but uh, really, thank you so much, and thank everybody for joining in. Have a wonderful night, everybody. Lila Tov. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, thank you so much. Lila Tov. Bye.